I don't think people realize, I don't think we conceptualize just how huge our salvation is. How huge it is. You know, you don't, you don't just come into the family, you don't just come into the family and you have to sleep out in the garage or something like that. You know, you don't just come into the kingdom and start working for the family business without benefits. There are blessings and the benefits that Jesus has purchased at the cross. And God wants to bless his people. God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Gave his son. And Romans 8 says, come on, this one's got to blow your mind. If God is for us, who can be against us? It says in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How much more will he, with him, give us all things? It says in Romans 8. It's like, I mean, I think Paul's like, guys, he gave his son for us. That you and I could be free from sin. And live with him for eternity. Where? Where do we get to live with him for all eternity? In a new heaven and new earth where he will restore all of creation. Have you ever read the descriptions about heaven? I mean, gee. I wonder if God wants to bless us. Does that make sense? Like I say, hey, God wants to bless you. He rewards those who diligently seek him. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You're not talking about that prosperity gospel stuff, are you? I'm thinking, have you ever read the Bible from beginning to end? I just showed you a couple of verses last week. Old Testament promises how God treats his friend Abraham. But I mean, think about the New Testament. If he would give his son so that you could have life. If Jesus himself said, hey, I came so you would have life and life abundantly. And then what would he do when he walked around on earth? Oh, and you got a fever? Thanks. I'm really ah, sorry about that. Sorry about that. Is that what he would do? He told that fever to go away, didn't he? Right? One time Jesus got so mad. I love that story when that woman's doubled over like this, she can't bend herself up. That time it happened to be a demon causing her that physical pain. Sometimes demons do that, right? Sometimes it's just physical, but she couldn't bend herself up for like 18 years. On the Sabbath, Jesus comes to her and says, Woman, you're free. He says, You're free. Lays his hand on her. Boom. She stands right up. Told that demon to go, right? He said, You're free. She stands up. The Pharisees get mad. The Pharisees are like, They don't even talk to Jesus, right? They're too scared of him. They talk to the, the crowd. They say, You guys, you need to come on a different day to get healed. Right? They're scared of Jesus. They don't even address him. And Jesus says, this woman has been bound for 18 years. And he says, think about it. I love that. He says, think about it. He gets so mad. He came to set people free. He came to heal them, deliver them from demons, right? He came to bless God's people. And God wants to bless us so much that he would take our sin, our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven set free, and live in eternity in heaven. I mean, 
in heaven. You realize there's no sickness in heaven. There is no pain in heaven. He will make everything right. Right? And he literally says, when, for those who have been faithful to him, right? He says, enter into your master's joy. Now see, that's the greatest blessing right there. God himself and his delight and his presence. But let me tell you, he's a good dad. And when you get adopted into the family, when you come into the family business, he's not like, yo, you can have some table scraps, right? Yo, you can sleep out in the garage. No, there are benefits. There are blessings from the Lord. But I think a lot of times, we'll say, yeah, 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 that's true. Forgiveness. We even have a hard time believing that one, don't we? Forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to go to heaven one day. Sure, that's a good one. But like I said, I don't think we really have a strong concept of what heaven really is. How good it's going to be. But we'll say, oh yeah, yeah, God will do it then. God will do it then. But do we really believe... Do you really believe that if you walk in God's ways, He will do what He said He will do? Do you believe that if you diligently seek the Lord, you love Him above everything else, you leave everything to follow Jesus, do you believe that He will reward you, the Bible says? Reward you. Reward you. See, I think... A lot of us, and I, and I say I think, but also I sense it in my spirit as pastor of this church. The Lord's saying, convince my people that I want to bless those who walk in my ways. That I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Convince them. So because if you're not convinced, you won't diligently seek him. And you won't see what God wants to do in your life. Faith. Didn't you see that in verse 6? It's impossible to please God without faith. Those who believe, I'm sorry, those who come to him must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek, that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, we won't come to the Lord if we don't believe that he's going to come through for us. See, let me ask you, Let's talk about Jesus. Last week we talked about Abraham. Abraham, right? I said, hey, this is how God treats his friends. He treated Abraham good. We're children of Abraham, though we'll talk about that another day. But how did you... Talk about Jesus. Did Jesus ever lack? Did Jesus ever lack? How did Father treat Jesus? How did Jesus talk about the Father? How did he relate to the Father? How many times did somebody try to take Jesus' life? You can't take Jesus' life. When he was ready, he laid down his life willingly. He says in John 10, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. They tried to kill him. How was he when he was in a storm? Was he worried about dying? Nope. He was sleeping. Did Jesus ever lack? <clears throat> this is in Matthew 14. I'm going to go through a number of scriptures in Matthew. 
You can follow along if you want. But uh, take us through some stories here. Matthew. Remember that story when he multiplies loaves and fishes? So check this out. So Jesus, he, uh, a multitude of people gather around him. 5,000 men plus women and children. So it's a large amount of people. And he's teaching them and ministering to them. I mean, literally, like all day, he's teaching the word and ministering, healing to them and such, just like he would always do. It says in verse 14 of chapter 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. He would teach them the word, and he would heal their sick. He was moved with compassion at them. You know, I'm not Jesus, but when I see somebody in pain, I get moved with compassion. The Lord doesn't want you to be like that. He loves you. you know, even the compassion of Jesus is evidence that God cares and wants something better for you. Now, in no way am I implying that there's something wrong with you. That's an accusation of the enemy. The Lord wants you to be whole, though. He loves you. And so the Lord had compassion on them, and he taught them. When it was evening... That means they had a long church service. Pastors liked stuff like that. His disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, and they said, we have here only five loaves and two fish. Now, it's very interesting if you compare this story to the other, uh, the other stories. You know, this is the one story in all of the Gospels that is in, it's the one story that's in every Gospel, all four Gospels. You know, a lot of times you got a mixture of stories in different Gospels. This is the one story that's in all four Gospels. And so if you compare them, Listen to what they say in Luke 9, for example. Just listen to this, Luke 9, verse 13. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless, unless we go and buy food for all these people. If you put these stories together, the disciples are like, we, we only got a little bit. Like, we don't even have enough for us. You want us to, like, share our lunch? We don't, we don't have anything to give them. Unless you want us to go buy them some food. Now, why would they say that? That seems really weird, huh? You want us to go, you, you, really, you, you want us to go buy them some food? Now, why would they say that if they couldn't buy them food? But it's not like they have a Walmart, right? They're out in the wilderness, or I mean, out in the, not wilderness, but like in the hill country. They're, they're not near like a village necessarily even. Where are you going to buy that much food? But they literally say, uh, do you, we only got a little bit, of, unless you want us to go buy something. Look at this in Mark 6. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? How would they mention that? You know how much 200 denarii is? 200 days wage. 200 days wage. John 6. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Oh, I'm sorry. He, yeah, I'm sorry. Jesus said to Philip. <clears throat> sorry, lost my place here. He said to, so Jesus said to Philip. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So G, and he says this, but he said this to test him. So literally, this part of the story, 
he kind of talked to the, all of them, but he specifically went to Philip and he said, hey, Philip, where do you think we should buy bread for all these people? He was like totally testing Philip. Listen to what Philip says in John 6. In John 6, he says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. That's interesting, isn't it? Why would he mention 200 denarii? That's interesting, isn't it? You ever noticed that before? 200 denarii, that's 200 days wage. Where do you get all that money from? See, Jesus, when he traveled around, he had a number of ways that God provided for him. One, he had some ladies, it says in Luke chapter 8, he had a number of ladies that had been delivered from demons who had been healed, and they would follow Jesus around. And they would supply what he and his disciples needed from their own sources. Some of them had been rich. Some of them had been uh, wealthy ladies. And they followed Jesus around and they helped minister to their needs as they traveled around. Judas, remember the one who killed Je- or, or betrayed Jesus, right? Handed him over. Judas, he was the keeper of what was called the money box. Why do you need a money box if you don't have money, right? He was the keeper of the money box. And it says in John chapter 12 that he used to steal from it. Take from it. Huh. Right? And it says in John 13 that he used that the that the box, the money box, was used for their needs as well as for the needs of the poor. Now, primarily, let me tell you, primarily you can see from the way it reads, you can read in John 13, that it's primarily to give away. So what would happen is, Jesus Jesus would minister freely. Remember, he said to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give, right? Freely you have received. That obviously means by grace, but literally the word means without cost. So Jesus would minister freely, because that's what you do, because the gospel is free, right? And he would preach the gospel to the poor. He would lay hands on the sick. They would be healed. He was not, uh, uh, if you will give me $100, you will be healed today, right? There are people like that nowadays, aren't there? They were, they, they were around back then too. Paul warns us about people like that. All right, so don't, don't worry. Your pastor's not going into like, I'm, and right now we're going to take a second offering for me, for my summer home. Makes me want to throw up. That's not what we're talking about here. What I'm talking about, Jesus did not lack. He had people who came alongside who provided for his needs. Was he he working a job? No. He had given everything to preach the gospel those three years. For those three years, he gave everything to preach the gospel. He left everything, right? He even said, I don't even have a house. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Remember that? He said, no, he came to serve, not to be served. He left everything. I mean, he's the son of God, left heaven, right? God's son became a man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he gave everything to preach the gospel and to reveal God to people. And he always obeyed the father. Amen. He says, whatever I see the father do that, which I do, right? 
He was subject to the same limitations you and I are subject to in terms of like he couldn't be in 20 places at once, right? Same limitations because he's living in human flesh. He's subject to the same temptations you and I are subject to. Remember the Bible says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. He never sinned. He never put his trust in money, right? Because that would be a sin, right? The love of money. He never coveted. When the enemy said, hey, turn that rock to bread, what did he do? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God, right? The enemy trying to get him to provide for himself. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. So Jesus would walk in faith, he would trust the Father, and he'd walk in obedience to the Father, and he'd given his life fully, fully to the Lord. Now, I know Jesus is our Lord, but he's our example, isn't he? He shows us how to live, does he not? He never lacked. So here he's got this money box that he would give, or they would give to the poor, but also for their own needs. It says that at one point, at least, they had 200 denarii. How do you think they ate the Passover meal, right? They had to do... They had to get the, the food from somewhere, right? And yet, did he, need the, did he need the money to feed everybody? Not at all, did he? This is the crazy thing. He didn't need it. See, people would provide for his ministry, and sometimes... That meant that Jesus had people giving money to him so that he could eat or, or his disciples or so that they could give to the poor. That people would give to his ministry. God would provide through people. Do you remember the, the wise men came? Old frankincense and myrrh. That's how his life started, right? So God would bless his son and provide for his son at times through other people. Through other people. He would go and stay at someone's house like Martha and Mary and they would feed him. God would provide through people at times. Sometimes God does that for us, doesn't he? But did Jesus need the money? No. Did Jesus need that denarii? Nope. Because when it came down to it, 200 denarii worth of bread was not enough to buy everybody so they could have enough food. 200 denarii, even though it was a lot of money back then, it wasn't enough to feed 5,000 men plus women and children, which is basically 5,000 households. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Plus, I mean, that's a logistical nightmare. Can you imagine that? Like what? You really, really, you're going to go to some village really far away when it's already nighttime, go buy some bread, which is not even baked. I mean, again, they don't have like a Costco or something like that. And, and then you're going to haul it out to the slopes and try to feed everybody? That's a logistical nightmare. No way. So Jesus is like testing them. He's like, hey, you go, you guys give them something to eat. Right? You give them something to eat. And they're like, what? You want us to go buy them food? I think Jesus is like, no, I'm just messing with you. No, I mean, he's like, here, just have them sit down in groups of 50. Give me what you have. Then he thanks God, right? Just like he would thank God at any other meal. He says, Father, thank you for, for all that you have. You know, thank you for giving. Everything comes from you. He thanks the, thanks the Lord. He blesses the bread. He breaks it, and he starts passing out the bread, and he passes out the fish, and it feeds Everybody. Everybody. Right? In fact, 
It says in uh, verse 20, So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. So not only was everybody filled, satisfied, like they seriously, a lot of those people were probably thinking, Ooh, that's the best meal I've had in a long time. You know what I'm saying? I think like they would be thinking, hey, this is good stuff. In fact, we know that because in the Gospel of John, they kept looking for him so they could have more food. And he's like, I did that so you would realize that I'm the bread of life, right? Always when he healed, when he would provide, and he'd do these miracles, always to point to him as the source, the Savior and all that. And then he says, verse 21, now those who had eaten... Oh, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. In verse 20, it says, and he took up 12 basketfuls. So he started with five loaves and a couple of fish, and he ended up with leftovers. Now, why do you think he had leftovers? Who, do you, who ate the leftovers? The disciples did. Let me tell you. He feeds all these people after preaching the gospel to them because he cares about them. He cares about their need. He cares that they're hungry. Listen to me, that's the kind of Savior we have. He is good, and he cares about our needs. And then he collects these 12 basketfuls. He's like, make sure there's none left over, right? And he collects all these basketfuls, and his disciples, they eat from that. They got more than enough. This is what he does. Listen, our Savior, he never lacked. He never lacked. In, um, in Matthew 16, he's with his disciples after feeding 4,000 and doing a number of other things. And <clears throat> he, um, he's going off to another place in verse 5 of chapter 16. He says, Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So now they don't have anything, right? They got nothing. They don't have any bread. And then he just like forgot, like, oops, you know? It doesn't necessarily say if they have any like money or anything, but they just don't have any bread. And then Jesus says to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware. So they reason in their mind, it's because we have no bread. Verse 7. They think Jesus is mad at them. They think Jesus is like, dude, you guys, you forgot the bread. He has, he's not talking about bread. He's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. He's saying, be, be careful not to be influenced by what these Pharisees are teaching. It's a big theme in that, in that Gospel of Matthew. And he's trying to teach these disciples to walk in the new way of the kingdom. And, and so, I don't know, maybe that's just Jesus. He liked to like, you know... Use these teaching opportunities, right? They're thinking, oh, dude, he's mad at us. We forgot the bread. And listen to what Jesus, now, now you, don't, you don't talk like that around Jesus because now he's like, oh, come on, guys, right? Verse 8, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Guys, why are you, why are you guys worried about having no bread? Why are you guys thinking, oh, no, we don't have any bread? Why are you guys thinking like that? He says, Oh, you of little faith. And then verse 9, do you, not re- do you not yet understand? Like, you guys, don't you get it yet? 
Don't you remember? Right? And then he, and he gives, goes into a little, little multiple choice quiz here. And he says, don't you remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? And then the other, in the other gospel stories, they like actually answer his question. They're like, 12. <laughs> and then he says, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven, Pharisees and the Sadducees? And then they understood, they understood that he was talking about the Pharisees' teaching. But I'm not sure if they ever got, he doesn't need bread to provide. I don't know if they ever understood, guys, if you're with me, there's no lack. I'm telling you, he never lacked. And he was trying to get it through to his disciples. You guys, I am the bread of life. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Like he's saying, look, if you're connected to me, you have everything you need. And he's trying to teach his disciples what it's like to serve God. See, there's this lie in the church that says, like, if you serve God, you'll be poor. Oh, you'll lay your life down. You'll lose it all. But he promises to reward those who diligently seek him. And that deception leads a lot of people to trust in money rather than God. That's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about get-rich-quick scheme. Jesus is not a get-rich-quick scheme, is he? I'm saying he takes care of his people. And he has promised to bless. See, one time he told his disciples in Matthew 10, he said, okay, I'm sending you out two by two. Go, Go into the... Go into the uh, this villages in around Judea, Galilee. Tell them the kingdom of God has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead. That's when he actually says in Matthew 10, freely you receive, freely give, right? Tell them the kingdom has come. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Do all that, okay? But okay. Then he says, and don't take any money bag with you. What? Yeah, don't take extra sandals, don't take extra clothes, don't take anything. You know, in their head, they're like, Yes, sir. Yes. You know what I'm saying? He turns around, they're like. Right? Come on. Give me your credit card. Come here. He cuts it up. No, I'm joking. They don't have credit cards. Okay. They're not allowed to take anything. He says, this is what I want you to do. When you go into a village, you find somebody who's a, a man or woman of peace, you stay with them. They will feed you. That's what they did. And it was part of the hospitality culture, okay? Fast forward to Luke chapter 22. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples the, la- the night before he, he, he went, the night before he was crucified, the night he was betrayed. He's hanging out with them and he says, hey, let me ask you guys a question. When I sent you out with no money bag or all that stuff, did you ever lack? They say, Never. Because he promised. Because he promised. 
See, next thing he says, this is the crazy thing, the next thing he says, now take a money bag. Now take what you need. See, there are times where the Lord will ask you to trust him in a certain way. Maybe giving all. In fact, I believe he will always, he'll test every Christian. We'll talk about that another day, but he'll always test. Because he has to detox us from the love of money and the deceitfulness of wealth. To get us to a place where we realize God is my master and my provider, not money. Not my job, not my boss, not my own work ethic. God is my provider. And so he tell, oftentimes he will tell us, I want you to do this, this way. Give it all away, or don't beg, or do all that, right? He'll, he'll do that. He'll do that, and he'll test us. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to teach us. And does not live on bread alone. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's trying to teach us, I don't need anything to provide for you. You could be in a desert and I'll cause water to come out of a rock like I did for Israel. You can be in a desert and I'll cause bread to rain from heaven. I don't need anybody or anything to feed you or to provide for you. But Jesus, we don't even have any bread in the boat. You got nothing to multiply. I don't need bread in the boat. I am the bread of life. He is the source. He is our provider. And when we walk in His ways, when we will seek the Lord and trust Him, no lack. He promised. He promised in His word. If you will seek first my kingdom, all my righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. He promised it. He promised, Paul says in Philippians 4, my God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Promised to take care of our needs. Mark chapter 10. I'll tell you another story here. Mark chapter 10. A rich man, a rich young ruler, he was a young man, a young adult, very, very rich. He comes to Jesus. He's probably used to getting his way. Probably used to bossing people around, telling people what to do. Probably thinks a lot of himself. You can tell from the conversation. And he comes to Jesus and in verse 17. He says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus says in verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Right, so Jesus tells him the commandments. Old Testament. Teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? Well, you, you know the commandments. Keep the commandments, right? So the, the, the verse 20, uh, the, the person says, Well, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, now, we know that we all fall short in these things. I think Jesus is testing him, right? I think in some ways, though, Jesus gives him the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't, he's not like, you're a sinner. No, he just says, okay. You know what I'm saying? He does kind of accept what the guy says. But the guy's thinking, hey, I'm all that. I did all that. I'm good. I did the right stuff already. And the man says, or I mean, Jesus says to him, I love how it says it in Mark, verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. 
moved with compassion, loving this man. What does that imply? That he wants this man to receive all that God has for him. He wants to bless this man. He wants this man to have eternal life and receive all that God has for him. And so with all the love in Jesus' heart, what does he tell him? You guys know the story? Give it all. Give it all. Because this is Jesus who said, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you will find your life. And he says, when I return, you will be rewarded. So Jesus, this is Jesus who knows how to get life. He knows he's the way. And he knows these things are deceptive. Things like the love of money, putting our trust in money. Or in our, putting our trust in our own self-righteousness. He knows those things are deceptive. And he says, no, only I am life, right? He says, you need to leave it all for me. And so he says to the man, you lack one thing. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. Listen, this is his invitation to every Christ follower. Every Christ follower. You leave it all, you follow me. Stop trusting in those other things. He said you can only have one master, God or money. So he's inviting this man into the truest freedom. This man loves his money, puts his identity in his money, and is scared. And so, in verse 22, but he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Just feeling bad about it doesn't change anything, right? And so, Jesus is grieved over this. Jesus isn't hard-hearted towards this man. He loved this man. And Jesus says in verse 23, Then Jesus looked around to his disciples and said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his word. Right? They're like, What? And so he explains to them what he means. Verse, oh, he keeps going. He says, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Right? Those who put their trust in those things rather than him. He says in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That, that, would, be, that would hurt the camel to go through an eye of a needle, right? Tiny little hole that it is. He's saying it's impossible unless you unload your trust in your riches. Verse 26, and they were greatly astonished, saying, just like what we would, who can be saved? You know what they're saying? They're admitting? Oh, that trust in money is so deep in all of us, isn't it? Even in the poor. Sometimes, especially in the poor. Those sometimes who don't have riches, actually, that's sometimes the struggle. They have their trust in it. But here in this man's life, his trust was was in his riches. Verse 27, but Jesus looked at him and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Praise God for His grace. Amen? That His grace is big enough for you and me to save us, to deliver us from this, and to forgive us. Now, it's interesting because Peter says this in verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we've left all to follow you. We've left all to follow you. So he's looking at this man who walked away, and he's like, oh, man, you know. Jesus says, 
Jesus says, hey, it's, it's, it's anything's possible to the Lord. And Peter says, well, hey, what about us? We left everything. And Jesus says, hey, don't be greedy. No, he doesn't say that. Look what Jesus says. Verse 29, so Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. I have heard people say this. I have read this in commentaries. That there is no promise in the New Testament of God blessing people materially. I just found one. You cannot say that and be honest with the Bible. God likes his people, he loves us, cares about us, and he has promised. See, listen, he's, he does not need you to convince him to take care of you or to provide for you. He loves you more than you realize. He does not need you to convince him. He needs to convince you. The problem so often in the church is we don't really believe that if I will follow him, leave everything for Jesus in the gospel, trust him, that he will not only take care of me, but bless me. I'll tell you, this messed with me for many years because I had a hard time believing that God wanted to do these things. It's kind of like, well, how do you reconcile like uh, you're supposed to give it all, which would mean you have nothing, and then Jesus is going to bless you with a hundredfold, so then you have something, but then you're not supposed to have anything. And I was just confused. I don't know about you, but I see a pattern in the Scripture that those who would stop trusting in themselves, He wants to bless them. For the Abraham who would leave all, For the disciple of Jesus, who would give everything for him and for the gospel. And he's very clear, isn't he? He doesn't say, I'll reward you in heaven only. He says, even in this life, a hundredfold blessing. Because everything we give to God is like a seed we sow into the kingdom. And it will reap a harvest. Everything you give to God, he thinks of it as you investing into his kingdom. And he gives a great return. Every time you lend, you, I'm sorry, you give to the poor, God considers it, you are lending to him and he will pay you back with interest. That's what the Proverbs say. God is a giver. He is a good dad. and He wants to bless his people. I don't know what else to make of it when out of the mouth of Jesus himself, our Lord, he says, if anyone gives all, for my sake, gospel, basically, you leave anything for my, for me. You make a decision to say, you know, Jesus, because I love you, 
Because you're better than this life. Because you're worth it. Because people need to know you. And because I'm only going to be on this earth for a short period of time, I don't want to waste my life. I want to live for God and do something for God on this earth. I'm going to lay this stuff down. I'm not going to give in to the temporal pleasures of this life or I'm not going to trust in money anymore. And I'm going to lay my life down. He says, if anyone's done that, I love the way he says he puts it in a negative form to make, to make it emphatic. Who sh- he says, there is no one who shall not receive a hundredfold now. If you have given anything for my kingdom, he says, I'm going to make sure that you receive a hundredfold back. That's what the Lord wants to do. What am I trying to get at? Isaiah 55, 11 simply says, God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He is so much better than we realize. That's all I'm showing you in the word. That he actually cares and he wants to bless his people. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That in his kingdom, there is no lack. And he's inviting us, as he always does, to follow him, to give our whole life to him, to put all of our trust in him, to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, to seek him first, his kingdom, and his righteousness first. He's inviting us into that, and he is promising, I am a reward of those who diligently seek you, him. Isaiah 55, 11. Thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. What needs to happen? Should God come down to our level? Or do we need to go up to his level? He wants to get his word into your heart and, his, and your mind. He wants to renew your heart and your mind. And he wants to convince you. And he wants to get you up. He wants to lift you up. And he doesn't want you to live at the level you've been living at. He doesn't want you to be believing things that you've been believing that aren't in his word. I'm not talking about greed or covetedness or selfishness or entitlement mentalities. No. We're talking simply about trusting God. And he's trying to convince you, I am so much better than you realize. Whatever you've probably imagined or desired from God is probably not as much as he wants to do. And we're going to learn to walk in his ways and receive these blessings and such. But I think it's pretty clear. You give all. He will take care of you. He will bless you. Amen? Let's respond to the Lord. Let's stand and respond.